Good morning, New Life. Uh, my name is Gil. I'm tuning in from London, England, um, and it's cold here. I've got my sister's cardigan on. We've got our Christmas tree up, and I'm ready to preach, uh, preach for you this morning, um, and I'm so glad to bring the Word of God. Um, so let's just lift our heads in prayer. Yeah, Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, preach your Word. I just pray that you would just bless me as I bring this message today. I just pray that um, hearts would be receptive to what you're saying uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, um, just a little bit about myself. I am one of six kids um, and, you know, if any of you guys have any siblings or any kids, that if there's one thing you know, it's that your kids or young children in general are totally happy walking around completely naked. Okay, so I, I looked up a couple of examples of, of kids doing silly things online and I found this great website where uh, 12 different mums had put up these hilarious stories about their kids. One particular story, get this, um, a mum and her daughter of about four years old are in a, uh, a shop. Let's just say it's like a, um, I don't know, what do you guys have over there? Let's just say it's like Primark or something. Okay, and they're walking around Primark, and it, this mum says she turns around for five seconds. She's not looking at her daughter anymore. She turns around to grab something from an aisle, and she gets a tap in her shoulder from a woman behind her who whispers into her ear, um, your, your daughter is uh, dancing naked beside the potatoes. So, I mean, I, I can't tell if you're finding that as funny as I am, because uh, I'm speaking to a camera, which is weird. But I found that hilarious. And there are so many other stories like that that I know of that my siblings have done. And if you guys are parents or have siblings, you will know, you know, much of the same. Um, and kids also don't really feel the need to clothe what they say either. Um, you know, many a times um, I've heard embarrassing story. Oh, I've heard many embarrassing stories about kids saying absolutely outrageous things to people. Um, and it completely embarrassing their parents. Um, but eventually, you know, kids learn to put trousers on. Uh, they learn to clothe the things they say. You know, some things just shouldn't be said. Um, and they kind of move on. And, you know, you might not remember being that young. But coming into, um, you know, the teenage years, I hope that we can all remember our teenage years. I definitely can. Cause it was only about yesterday for me. Um, I'm only 21. But yeah. Uh, oh, where am I? Okay, yeah, so teenagers dress themselves up in a different way, right? I mean, of course, they know how to wear clothes. Um, but one thing that teenagers do is they'll dress up uh, on the inside, won't they? They kind of dress up their personalities. Um, I remember as a teenager, I, um, I, I was pretty extreme, to be honest. I used to dress up uh, in about 100 different kind of inner outfits, um, so I, you know, whatever was cool at the time, I was pursuing that. Um, so it, whether it was like a certain way of speaking or a certain kind of music or whatever, I was ready to copy that. Um, at, you know, at one point I was wearing a kind of street sort of clothing and listening to sort of, you know, quite rough music. And, and, you know, a month later I might be donning, um, a smart jacket and speaking in a, in a much more, um, or, you know, with a well-to-do, sort of tone and you know I was I was the worst I used to clothe myself up almost to try and hide uh, what I was what I actually was which was kind of not any of that it was just a bit more kind of you know 
I think that's normal, not too not too extreme. Um, but yeah, you know, teenagers learn to clothe themselves. That's definitely what I did. I, I I tried to hide all of this other stuff. What I really was in this kind of facade of you know what was cool. Okay, um, and that I that you know as far as I can tell, only being twenty one. But from other people, I can I've heard that you know this continues on into later life. Um, and you know there are things that we that we maybe have done or thought or said even that we we're too ashamed to admit to anyone, even our closest friends. Um, so we kind of got this this whole thing of like you know it's it's something human about um, having kind of inner things or inner, maybe maybe because they're inner shame um, that we that we just feel the need to cover up. You know, one author writes. Uh, quote, even with our best friends, we don't feel fully comfortable divulging everything about our lives. You see, we like them, our friends, and, and we even love them. We And we go on vacation with them and sing their praises to others. But we don't really, at the deepest heart level, entrust, us, uh, in, <laughs> entrust ourselves to them. Even in many of our marriages, he says, we are friends of a sort, but we haven't got naked in soul the way we have in body. Close quote. We haven't gotten naked in soul the way we have in body. Now, I'll let this author speak um, on, on that point. I'm not married myself, so I don't know what that's like. But you guys weigh that up. Is that true for you? Are there some things that you're so, um, you know, you feel ashamed so strongly about that you would never tell anyone else? Maybe something that you've said or thought in private that was just, oh, it's just too... Too nuts. Like, I wouldn't share that with anyone. Um, you know, I know that there are definitely things that I would not feel comfortable um, sharing with other people about myself. But we weren't made like this. Okay? Um, you know, in the beginning, we were created naked. Uh, you know, inwardly and outwardly. There was no need to hide anything from anyone else or God. Right? There was, there was just no need to hide. We were created completely exposed and that was okay. But what changed that? Well, we all know the story, I hope. Um, a certain woman eats a certain fruit. Who gives, you know, she gives the certain fruit to her husband. And boom, we get the events of Genesis 3 where we see this horrible act of disobedience towards God. And in verse 7, we read, Then the eyes of both were opened. That's the eyes of Adam and Eve. They were both opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, Adam and Eve feel exposed, which is interesting. And, and you know, I suppose you could explain it by saying they're feeling shame for the first time, aren't they? Now, I can't, I can't really explain what shame is. I looked up some dictionary, dictionary definitions and, and everyone's trying to explain what shame is by explaining what shame does. I think we all know what shame does. When you feel ashamed, it's almost we want to put a wall between ourselves and everyone else. You know, there's this we, we want to cover up. That's what shame makes us want to do. And they almost feel that if they could just cover their bodies up, it would cover this inward shame, this inward disobedience. You know, because eating the eating the fruit isn't actually you know isn't the outward thing that's they wouldn't get caught you know with a piece of apple hanging out their mouth, right? But what they know is that they've 
they've done something inwardly wrong that they feel guilty about, and the shame that comes with that makes them want to cover up. And I think we can probably all relate to that in some way. I mean, shame is the reason that kids learn to put their clothes on, right? Shame is the reason that they learn not to say certain things. You know, if, I, if, if they were to say that, they might feel ashamed. They might be embarrassed, right? Or it's, it's also the reason that teenage, uh, teenagers dress up their personalities. I was ashamed of what I really was, so I dressed myself up in, uh, you know, in other things, in other sort of what I thought were personalities, uh, to try and hide things, hide, the, hide what I was ashamed of. Um, and it's, shame is also the reason we hide things even from our closest friends, even our spouses, right? Um, but, and, and you know, that, that it can be effective with other men and women, can't it? It can be effective with other humans. You dress up a certain way, uh, you don't say certain things, you do say certain things, and all of a sudden you can put up quite a convincing facade, okay? Um, but there's one thing for certain, okay? That God sees. God sees through any item of clothing or personality choice or any secret that you're trying to hide. He sees everything. He's the all-seeing God. Now, the Pharisees, if you don't know who a Pharisee was, they were a sort of religious leader who lived around the time of Jesus. They were Jews. They were very strict Jews. And outwardly, they were immaculate. They would pass through, um, you know, any human court of, you know, they, they would be approved um, on by any human law. Uh, they they looked spotless on the outside. But if you know anything about um, the Bible or the gospel stories, you'll know that actually, surprisingly, Jesus wasn't all that keen on the Pharisees. I'm going to read from Matthew 23. It's got these harsh words for these people who clothe them up in this certain clothing and live by all these strict rules. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside... You are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus had some pretty harsh words for these people who thought that, you know, by merely wearing a certain uh, set of clothes and, and doing a certain amount of deeds, thought that they, you know, could be approved by God. But it, this inner nakedness, that, you know, even these Pharisees who looked immaculate, they, they have this inner nakedness too, right? And And this... Inner nakedness is, is always visible to God, as we've seen. God sees everything. Okay? So if we think about it, Adam, Eve, and the Pharisees are all kind of doing the same thing. Right? Let me just explain. Okay, so Adam and Eve, they put on these fig leaves. They shift the blame. What are they doing? They're basically trying to hide what they've done wrong so that they can earn God's approval, aren't they? Okay? When God comes looking, what do they do? They, 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 they cover themselves up. They pretend like nothing's gone wrong. They, they kind of want to keep themselves in God's good books. Okay? And in, in, you know, in a sense, the Pharisees are doing the same thing. It's these super strict 
Jews. They think if I just try and follow as many laws as I can, if I just do my best, if I wear the right clothes, if I get all the right looks, um, then, you know, surely God is going to have to approve me. I've done my best, right? But the Bible is actually very clear that, you know, surprisingly, approval actually can't be earned. Or at least God's approval can't be earned. In fact, God's approval can only be given. Now, if you, if you like, hear anything from this sermon, hear that, okay? We're going to come back to this in a second. God's approval cannot be earned. It can only be given. Given by who? Given by God himself, freely. We're going to see this, okay? Um, Jesus tells this parable, Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 22. It's this kind of illustration, a story, okay? Um, and it's just to set the scene quickly, um, the, the parable is about a king who has a son who's getting married. And the king invites a bunch of people uh, and they end up coming into this wedding. And, and Jesus teaches this um, story off the back of that parable. Sorry, he teaches this lesson off the back of that parable. Um, but towards the end of this particular parable, it's almost like he adds on an extra bit, an extra bit that he, he later uses to teach from. Um, and we, we come in at verse 11 of Matthew 22. But when the king came in to look at the guests, this is Jesus telling the story. When the king came in to look at the, uh, at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so in this story, this man comes into this wedding feast, and it seems that at the door of this wedding feast, every guest was given this free item of clothing called the wedding garment, okay? But this particular man thinks he's above that, and the man shuns this offering of free clothing and says, you know what, I'm going to do fine with my own. Thank you very much. OK, and but, you know, what, what's the result of that? We see this king sees this man who thinks he's good enough in his own clothes and says, you know, what are you what are you doing here without a wedding garment? And this man is speechless. He's got nothing to say. You know, there is he's, he's tried. He thinks he's good enough in his own clothes. The king says, chuck him out. Chuck him out. You know, this man is a bit like the, I don't know if you guys have heard another parable, the tax collector and the Pharisee parable. It's another thing about Pharisees, right? So this Pharisee and this tax collector, tax, collect tax collectors were seen as like the height of um, sinners at the time. They would take Jewish taxes and give them to the Romans. And whenever Jesus uses a tax collector in a story, it's like, you know, almost to tell, um, he's, he's almost the image of the lowest of the low, the, the, the most sinful sinner. Okay, so this tax collector and this Pharisee go into the temple um, at roughly the same time in the story. And, you know, this Pharisee who, again, on the outside is immaculate, looks great in his religious robes and he keeps all these rules and, and everyone respects him. His prayer is something like this. He says, thank you, Lord, for this, this and this. Thank you, Lord, that I um, and thank you, Lord, that I give to the poor. Thank you, Lord, that I read my Bible. Thank you, Lord, that I pray. Thank you, Lord, that I'm such a good person. And he, he goes on and on. 
uh, with this kind of almost pretense of being thankful, but actually really saying how good he is. Yeah. And then on the other side of the room in the story, you've got this tax collector who it says was, you know, is on his face beating his breast, which is it's like a um, body language for, a, you know, intense sort of distress. OK, and he's beating his breast before God and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right. And Jesus says only the tax collector went away from the temple justified. OK, right. So again, in the, in the wedding garment thing, this guy is this proud man refuses this free wedding garment is chucked out. Um, and in this story with the tax collector and the Pharisee, um, only one of these guys goes away justified. The Pharisee, who's come with his list of reasons why God should accept him, who's come with all of his good deeds, I pray, I give to the poor. He doesn't end up justified. On the final day, he's pushed out of the, uh, out of the, out of the kingdom of heaven, just like the guy who tried to come in his own clothes. But the tax collector, the tax collector who's done nothing right, maybe his whole life, who merely comes to God and says, have mercy on me, I know I've done wrong and I'm sorry. Yeah, the tax collector who does that goes away justified. Okay? You see, no matter what sort of facade we try and put up, we can never hide our inner shame from God. We might be able to hide it from everyone else. Maybe no one else knows about your secret sin. Okay, but God knows. God can see. And God is the only one who matters. God is the only one who's actually going to judge this sin on the final day. So how do we avoid this mistake of trying to clothe ourselves in our own clothes? Okay, how do we put on this wedding garment? What does that look like? It's actually very simple. It's a two-step process. Okay, it's two things. And if, if you're hearing this and, and, you know, maybe you're starting to feel like, actually, when I come to God, I come with a list of reasons why he should accept me. Then maybe you should listen to this. Maybe you should take this on board. Um, first, if you want to put on this wedding garment that Jesus freely offers you, my friend, first, acknowledge the fact that you are naked. Acknowledge your nakedness. Be like the tax collector who comes and falls on his face and says, Oh God, I know I've done wrong. And I'm sorry. Okay? You've got to do that first step first. You've got to go, Okay, look, Lord, I've got shame that I just cannot cover up. No matter how many clothes I put on, I cannot cover up this burden of shame that is on me. Okay? That's step one. Step two. Run to him alone for clothing. Who? Run to God alone for clothing. Okay? So first, acknowledge your nakedness. Acknowledge your brokenness. Acknowledge your sin and your shame. And then say, Lord, I can't cover this up. I'm sorry. Would you cover it up for me? Would you put your wedding garment on me? Would you cover me in your righteousness? Would you accept me on your terms rather than my terms? Yeah? Only once you've done those two things will you ever be approved by God. Okay? So notice that you haven't really done anything. All you've realised is what's obvious. 
And then you've asked God to forgive you and heal you. And he pours out his, we're just going to see this in a second. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Now, my physical clothes, just a quick detail, my physical clothes are made out of polyester. Okay? Cheap plastic, woven together. But the first clothes were made out of animal skins. Okay? Genesis 3, again, 21. After they've disobeyed God and gone their own way, God stops them on the way out. And he says, hey, look, those fig leaves, they're not going to cut it. Um, And God actually makes them clothing out of animal skins. Now, there's something that you should know about animal skins, which is kind of obvious. If you're going to wear animal skins, the animal that gave you those skins is no longer alive. Okay, you you can't just take the skins off an animal and it walks around. It's not like a headless chicken where you can take its head off and it's all cool for a minute. No, of course, if if you're going to wear animal skins, unfortunately, that animal has to die. And you know, our shame, our inner shame is the same. You see, we need more than polyester and certainly more than fig leaves to cover this up, okay? Or to deal with this, not just cover it up, but to really fix this issue, okay? In fact, the Bible implies that our shame is infinite. It says in Galatians 2.16, no one can be justified by their own works. You know, it's almost like this infinite ladder. The Pharisees um, and, and people in, in also many other faith systems at the moment almost see, um, you know, you can, you can almost be saved by climbing up this invisible, you know, theoretical ladder, right? Where you kind of, you do a good deed and then you do another good deed and you do another good deed. And every time you do a good deed, you climb up higher and higher and eventually you get saved. Eventually you earn God's approval but what the bible says is that no one can be justified by their own works galatians 2 16 this ladder is infinitely high okay i could count from one to a hundred right now i could climb up a hundred rungs of this ladder and i would literally be nowhere near the top i wouldn't be any closer than i was at the start from the top of this ladder i could climb you know do you know how big a googleplex is a googleplex i believe is a, a number which has um, 100 zeros. Or is that a Google? I don't know. But, you know, say if this... Um, if I climbed a Google uh, number of steps, right, up this ladder, I still wouldn't be any closer to the top of this thing. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter how many good things you do. Even if those good things are like reading the Bible, or praying, or, you know, giving money to the poor, or whatever you can think of. It doesn't matter how many good... It says clearly, no one can be justified. No one can be saved by their own works. So what on earth can cancel out this infinite shame, this infinite burden? Only infinite honour can cancel out our infinite shame. Okay? If our shame is infinite, it can only be cancelled out by an infinite honour. Okay? It needs to be cancelled out if we're going to be saved. We can't come to God with our shame and expect to be accepted. We can't come to him naked in our shame. We can't come to him clothed in our own clothes. So what is the solution? Okay, let's look at this passage, John 19, 23 to 24. This, the scene is that Jesus is on the cross here. And John paints the picture. He says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus... 
they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but instead cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfil the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now right here, in the thick of this picture, we have a picture of salvation. Uh, let's just imagine, right, we, we, we see this image of uh, that John remembers so vividly, of these four soldiers at the foot of the cross, dividing uh, Jesus's clothes. You know, someone gets Jesus's t-shirt, someone gets Jesus's um, trousers, someone gets his boots, someone gets his socks, okay? Uh, but there's one item of clothing that is just too, it looked probably expensive to cut up. Um, and what they say is, okay, whoever rolls the highest number on the dice gets to keep the tunic. So right here we have this soldier, you know, one of these four soldiers ends up rolling a six and walks away, in a sense, with God's own tunic. But where's God? God himself is lying there naked on the cross. Okay, so this soldier walks away clothed in God's own clothes, while God instead is naked on a cross. Right? So we have this, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, but it's sort of like a, an illustration here. You know, we've got naked God versus a clothed sinner. It's like, it doesn't, it's completely backwards. You get this exchange of shame and honour at the cross. You know, let's just imagine what's happening in the heavens at that point. You know, angels watch in hushed awe at this, you know, at the scene of the cross up in the heavens. They watch in hushed awe as actually God the Father removes Christ's royal robes and puts them on a crowd of undeserving, naked sinners. Okay? Christ is declothed. Yeah? His royal robes, his, you know, these robes which were flowing from him, which, um, these robes of righteousness and acceptance before God, um, which showed that he was the king and and loved by God, they are removed from him, and he's actually made naked on the cross before God, yeah, and these sinners who don't deserve anything, they've never done anything good, okay, who, you know, all they've said is sorry, all they've said is, I, oh, Father, I just, I need you to clothe me, I can't clothe myself, these undeserving bunch of dirty sinners get to receive the royal robes, this, uh, this amazing exchange, between God and man, okay? And what I want to ask is, are you one of them? Okay, we've, we've talked about what it means to be naked. We've talked about shame. Are you one of them? Are you one of those sinners who's been clothed? Are you washed? Have you come to the cross and left with God's tunic? Or are you still wearing your own clothes? Do you come to God with your fig leaves on? With your own clothes. Do you, when you come to God, do you remind him of all the things that you've done that make, you know, that mean that you deserve to be saved? Do you say, hey, Lord, you know, I might have messed up the other week, but I, you know, I gave to the poor. I read my Bible. I pray sometimes. Maybe I pray a lot. 
Do you come to God with a list of things, a list of reasons as to why God should approve you? Because anyone who thinks those things will justify him before God will be shown the door. Galatians 2.16, no one can be justified by their own works. Okay, there's only one acceptable item of clothing and that is Jesus Christ. The Bible is very, very clear about that. So when you come to God, you better be wearing Jesus. When you come and hug him, you better smell like Jesus. When you ask him for things, you better sound like Jesus. And when he looks at you, if he doesn't see you clothed in his son, he won't look again. You know, God is, God is patient, but we dare not neglect his own son, okay? You know, there's this bit in Hebrews, let me just grab a Bible, it says this in Hebrews 2, Therefore, we must, pay, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Okay? How shall we escape? Wow. All I can bring to you today is please don't neglect this. Don't, I've, I've just presented to you what Jesus has done. Okay, I've just presented to you what God has done. He's come to the earth. He's taken on human flesh, seeing this unbridgeable gap between God and man. Jesus himself laid down and became that bridge so that man could walk across it. But you can, if you want to, you can stay on the other side. You can just not walk across to the Father. You can feel like, okay, I'm good enough in my own works. I'm good enough with what I've got. Or you can walk across. Or you can put on Christ. This very day. This is like, this is the most serious thing. This decision, if you, if, if, if you neglect this salvation, it is eternity. You're not just going to miss out on eternity. There's punishment. How can we neglect this? God has given his own son for us. If we, are we really going to look at Jesus and go, hey, I'm cool doing my own thing. Jesus, you know, you're cool, but you know, I'm, you're a nice teacher, a nice example, but I'm actually going to go off and do my own thing. I think I'm good enough in myself. Do we dare do that? Do we, do we dare neglect so great a salvation? I beg you not to. I beg you not to. Please put on Jesus so that when you come to God, you smell like Jesus. When you come to God, you shine like Jesus. And when you come to God, you sound like Jesus. And if you do, oh, it, you know, it says in John 17, 23, Jesus is speaking to the Father. And he says, you know, you have loved me since the foundation of the world. It's not verse 23, it's, it's another verse, sorry. John 17, he says, you loved me since before the foundation of the world. That is the love that we are invited into. This private, wonderful yeah, I, I don't even have to. I don't have words to explain this love. But he's inviting you into it today. He's saying, "Put on Jesus. I've given you everything in my Son. Just put him on. Just put him on." So we've talked about putting on Jesus, 
Um, you know, one famous uh, reformer, a guy called Martin Luther, he was a pastor. Um, not Martin Luther King, but a guy from way before. Martin Luther sort of, he made this illustration, right? And he says that salvation is a bit like a dunghill covered in snow, right? So you've got dung and, you know, it looks kind of horrible, smells pretty bad. Uh, and then one day it snows and the whole ground is covered in this completely white snow. Even the dunghill, you can't even, you can't see it, you can't smell it. Um, and it's covered up. Um, and Luther says, you know, that's a bit like salvation. That's what it looks like to be clothed in Christ. And I'd like to go as far as saying, yes, that's part of the story. But then, you know, being clothed in Christ isn't about only being covered up. OK, it, it's not as if um, this whole thing is a big sort of deception. OK, we're, we're horrible on the inside um, and we're but we're, you know, we're clothed in Jesus. And it's, you know, it, almost to try and protect the smell and. And the, you know, the, the evil that's within. You know, scripture doesn't quite put it like that. Um, you know, scripture talks of a journey. Um, so, you know, we are saved when we put on Christ. And there's that moment where the dung here was covered with snow and we're accepted. Hallelujah. That is true. But then there's also a journey from there. Um, and I want to, you know, suggest that putting on Christ is a bit like putting on a, a good coat. Okay, so a good coat doesn't just look good on the outside, but a good coat actually warms you up within. Okay, uh, so you put on Christ, uh, you've got him on, um, but don't expect to stay like you are. Okay, you put on Christ. You know, let's talk about um, when when we're really cold. You guys get really cold there in Toronto, as far as from what I hear, and it's, it also gets kind of cold here in London. Probably not as cold, but say if. There was one day where the power went out, there was no heating whatsoever, and you have to just put on all your clothes and kind of bundle up underneath, a, a, you know, in your bed or whatever. Um, one of the most effective ways of staying warm is to go into a fetal position, so you kind of curl up into a ball to try and conserve all, the, uh, conserve all of the heat. Now, I propose that that's actually a picture of what sin can look like, what sin does to a person. Okay, when, when Adam and Eve first eat the fruit, who are they thinking of, right? Who is their priority? Who are they most trying to serve? Well, I, I propose that they're trying to serve themselves most. They're looking inwards. That's what made them eat this fruit. It says when, when they um, saw that the fruit could be uh, used to make one wise, right? And so they're thinking about, okay, well, I could better myself if I have this fruit, right? Um, so, and sin makes us do that. Sin makes us curl up and look at ourselves. It makes us navel gazers. We're just bent in on ourselves. Now, I propose that, yeah, as I said, Jesus is a good coat. He doesn't just, um, you know, we don't just put him on and remain the same. We get warmed up. So when we warm up, we come out of this fetal position where we're in sin. We're looking in ourselves. It's all about our self-esteem. It's all about our um, you know, possessions, all about our money. And all of a sudden, we, 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 we begin to kind of, almost like a flower unfurling, we begin to look outwards. I mean, look at Jesus on the cross, right? Uh, the perfect example of this. He says, um, there's only a few things that he says, and, and here are two of them, right? First of all, famously, he says, uh, on the cross, in this unbearable pain and shame, 
you know, you'd want to use your words sparingly, wouldn't you? When you're in pain, you don't want to say too much. But Jesus is ever looking outwards rather than inwards. He's saying, you know, he famously says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's looking out at everyone else. Everyone before him deserves to be punished for what they've done, nailing him up on the cross. And yet he's looking out at them and saying, Father, please forgive them. And another example, right, in this very same passage, um, you know, reading from John 19, 25 to 27, we get this scene where uh, Jesus again is on the cross and the soldiers have just, you know, they've been dicing out for his clothes. And just after that, we see uh, John and Mary, Jesus's mother, at the foot of the cross. And Jesus, again, is thinking about everyone but himself. And he says to his mum, woman, behold your son. And John, look, behold your mother. Yeah, so he's even on the cross in this place of infinite, okay, yeah, infinite um, pain and shame. He He's looking out for others. He sees his mother is vulnerable. And he's, he's not curled up. In, in his, he's not cold-hearted. He's not looking inwards, trying to keep himself warm. No, he's warm with love and compassion, even there, looking out for everyone but himself. And this is what it looks like when we put on Jesus. We don't just stay cold. It begins to stop being just about us. You know, for those of us who are Christians, that might seem hard to believe. Maybe we can't see much evidence of that. But the Bible is quite clear. It says that God is love. 1 John says, anyone, you know, if if you don't love your brother, then you're not of God. You don't know God. Okay? You know, knowing God, putting on Jesus Christ, warms you up to love other people. Okay? So that's what it looks like. Okay? So we've been talking, uh, you know, just as a quick summary, we've been talking about being clothed in Christ. We've seen the need for that. We've seen our nakedness. And we see the options we have, right? We can either clothe ourselves in our own clothing. We can come to God on our own terms, which doesn't look good at all. According to scripture, we will be kicked out the door. Or alternatively, we can put on the wedding garment. We can put on Jesus Christ, this free offering. We cannot neglect him. We can actually take him up. The um, The full free gift that the Father offers us in his son. And we can wear him. Okay, so that when we come to God, we smell like Jesus, we look like Jesus, and we love like Jesus. Okay, so that we've got those two options. What I'm pleading with you today is choose the second one. Put on Jesus. And and again, this is something that you've got to almost do daily. Okay, this is something you do once, um, and then you know, and you're saved. But then it's also something you've got to you know do do throughout. Uh, your life. And okay, you've got to remind yourself, hey, it's not about the things I've done. It's about the thing he's done. He has done it all. So if I just put him on, I have, I now have his perfect record on me. My shame, my infinite shame has been cancelled out by infinite honour. If I only trust in him. Okay, so I'm pleading with you today, do that. And if you have done that, if you truly have, you will begin to see, albeit slowly and with many failings, you will nonetheless begin to see that actually there's a, there's a new love. There's a new warmth in your heart, not just for yourself, not for yourself, but for others, other people around you. You begin to warm up, you begin to flower out and begin to actually start caring for other people. You'll find that you're concerned for their souls. 
and, and, and you begin to love them. Okay? So as I, I'm just going to pray us out. Lord I, just, Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to just preach your word today, Lord. And, you know, it's your commands are not burdensome. That's what it says in your word. Your commands are not burdensome. Um, and, and, and this is what <laughs> uh, it says in John 6. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And I just want to pray, Lord, please, for all of us, everyone watching here, whether, you know, they've already put on Christ or maybe are considering it or maybe don't think that they need to put on Christ. Please make us see sense day in, day out. Show us the glory of Jesus. Please let us be brought from darkness into light. Let us see our shame and ask you alone for covering. Please forgive us for times where we've come to you with our own clothes on, a list of things that we think should mean that you accept us. And Lord, I just pray last of all, please, Jesus, help us to trust in you alone for salvation. I just pray blessing on New Life Church. May they grow in love for each other, not just in numbers, but in love. Please, I pray that they would just be saturated with the Holy Spirit. I pray that the preaching at, at, at New Life, Lord, would just be strong and word-centered. Um, and I'm just so grateful for your love today. In the name of Jesus. Amen.